Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Um, Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Uh, Please introduce yourself and sort of tell everyone a little bit about you. Sure. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Emily, and um, I'm excited to be here today to share a little bit about my journey um, to motherhood and how God has um, played such a huge role in that. Um, I'm 35. Um, I'm going to be 36 this year, so I'm on the other end of getting closer to 40. So that, that is always interesting experience. Um, but I am married. Um, my husband's name is Samir, and we've been married for almost seven years. This year it'll be seven years. And we have two kids. We have two girls. Penelope is five and a little, and then Everly is two and a half. And both of our girls are with us through IVF and and with the use of donor eggs. And that's a little bit about my journey and our infertility story up until that point. But there's such, there's such miracles. And it's, it's so great that God has allowed science to advance the way that it has so that we have the opportunity to have a family. Beautiful. So you went through IVF. So how did your journey sort of begin? Like what's the, what's the beginning of your story? Yeah. So growing up, I knew I always wanted to be a mom. There was two things I knew I wanted to be. I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to be a nurse. And so I assumed both of those with a lot of work for the nurse side and pretty minimal effort for the mom side was just going to happen. And so I went through college, I became a nurse, I put in all the effort, and I ended up getting married when I was pretty young. I was 21, just turned 21. And we weren't looking to have children. It wasn't really on our radar. We were young. I was just starting out as an emergency room nurse. So it was kind of in the distance. Would we even have children? It just wasn't a high priority at the time. And when I turned 25, I needed to have a heart procedure done. And so they had me take, come off all of the medication that I was on. Well, even though at the time it didn't, I didn't think much of it. I had been on a low dose birth control since I was 16, because when I was 16, I started having weird symptoms is what everyone at the time wanted to call it. I was having night sweats. I was having hot flashes. I was not so much hormonal or emotional, but just like things just didn't feel right for me. And so the doctors at the time with my parents, which none of us were educated on infertility, I wasn't, my parents weren't, um, the doctors just said, oh, she's hormonal. She's 16. Let's just put her on a low dose birth control to manage her symptoms. And that was all we did. There was no investigating. There was no looking into things. It was just, this is what we're going to do. So up until I was 25, I didn't think much of it. I was just like, oh, this is the medication I take because it helps me feel normal. But when I had to come off of it for my heart procedure, a couple of days off of the med, I started thinking, man, I don't, I don't really feel very good. Something, you know, it doesn't feel right. And so I ended up going into the doctor, uh, maybe a week or two after and telling her that I said, this sounds crazy, but I, I feel like I'm in menopause. And I laughed because I thought that was the furthest thing from the truth, but it was the only way that I could describe how I felt. And then she came back to the room, very somber. And I remember her looking at me and having this just utter 
it was almost like she didn't want to tell me, but I knew already that something wasn't right when she came back. So long story short, at that time, I went to some other specialists that she sent me to, and I, I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure, which is basically early menopause. So it's really funny. You're 25. I was 25. You're not really planning to have children. You're not sure if you want children, let's say. And then you come to a point where someone looks you in the face and they're like, actually, you're not going to be able to have your own children because you're in menopause. And I tell you the feeling of needing a child right then, right now hits you like, like a door. It, it was the most surreal feeling because up until that point, I hadn't really put a lot of time and thought into when I wanted to become a mom, I just knew someday I wanted to, but the minute it's taken away from you, that's the moment where you are like, no, I need it right now. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to become a mom right now, even though that wasn't really on the radar. Um, and so through that journey and that relationship, you know, my husband at the time, his family and him also really weren't educated a lot on infertility. It wasn't something that had ever come up in conversation or anything. So I think it was not only a huge shock to me personally in my family, but also, you know, his family. And so through the next year or so, we went through a private adoption that failed, which was something that was gut-wrenching and something that at the time I, I couldn't believe God would allow me to go through after experiencing such pain of losing the ability to have my own child and then take away this child that I truly thought he had brought into our life. Now, years later, I'm able to look back retrospectively and realize why I had to go through that. But at the time, it obviously felt very unfair. But through that, um, unfortunately, that first marriage did not survive. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because infertility impacts people in so many different ways. And sometimes a way that I feel like we don't talk a lot about is our relationships. And so it impacts not only you personally, but the people around you, the families around you. And so through that, then um, a year or two later, I met my husband, Samir, and he's a physician and he was looking through my my paperwork. And he realized, oh my goodness, yes, your ovaries don't work. Yes. You don't have any eggs left because you've been menopause for so long, but your uterus is just fine. And so if you're open to donor eggs, you would totally be able to carry a child and, um, experience pregnancy. And I remember just sitting in my living room, crying and sobbing because I, I did not know that that was even an option. Um, until I met him, every doctor just basically said, you can't have kids. And so then what Samir and I got married, we started that IVF process right away. We found a clinic that we wanted to work with and, and started looking at the donor list. And then we, we got married in September and in October we had our first meeting. And then in January was our first transfer. So we did things real quickly once we got married, just cause we, we knew what we needed to do. So. Yeah. And you knew what you wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't a question. Yeah. Oh, we'll just wait for a bit. It was, I want it now. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I had already been waiting for a while, so I was really ready. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how the, the medical industry just drives me nuts with that stuff. They're just like, oh, we'll just band-aid it. Let's not even look into what could be causing that issue. So do they have, like, have you talked to someone about it? Have they said, like, yeah, you probably were going up, up like, into it in when you were 16? Yeah, so unfortunately, once I got diagnosed and was able to learn more about my symptoms and what had happened. Yes. So what more than likely happened, and obviously this is all retrospect, right? Because we can't go back in time, but more than likely, yes, I had started um, 
menstruating when I was 12, but probably around the age of 14 to 16 is probably when my body, something wasn't going right. Something wasn't working right. And then by the time I really started noticing it, I was probably already in a menopause without really realizing it. And so because of that with early menopause or premature ovarian failure, um, if you go into it early, like I did, you actually stay in menopause the entire length of your life until you get to the natural age of menopause, which is usually, you know, like somewhere in your fifties or sixties. So that's the hardest thing about early menopause is that you have to try to control the symptoms for a very, 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 very long time. Versus if you just go into menopause, you know, in your forties or fifties, it's a shorter time than obviously if you start when you're 16. So do you, do you still get the symptoms now? I do. So I am on a medication that is helping suppress the symptoms 80% of the time. Um, we did try upping and going to a different medication, but unfortunately the higher dose actually made things worse for me. And so we went back down to the lower dose also just for safety reasons, because obviously the higher the estrogen, the higher the risk for things like cancer. And so we just stayed on the lower dose. So I would say 80% of the time my symptoms are controlled, but you will see it's very cold where I live right now. And I do not wear a coat. I sometimes don't wear socks with sandals because I'm just hot all the time. And so even though my friends are like, honey, it's negative 10 outside today, I'm driving with my window down because I'm so hot. It's give and take a little bit. Some days are really good and some days are not so great. Yeah. Gosh, that must be really like difficult to kind of live like that as well, because I mean, but at the same time, you don't know anything different either. So that's probably a good thing as well, (laughs) like blessing in disguise. (laughs) Yes. I think you want to get used to things like that. You know what I mean? And you just find ways to cope. Um, but yes, I, I don't really know much different. I just am always hot. So luckily the night sweats are pretty much under control. And that's the thing that I think was the hardest because I used to not sleep very good because of that. Yeah, I I can I can relate to some of the heat thing because like when you're pregnant, you kind of like you can get really warm and you just feel warm all the time. Like my son, he'll sometimes give me a cuddle and he's like, "Mom, you're so warm," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's because I'm pregnant." <laughs> yeah, all my thing. He's like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah." But it's it's very interesting how our hormones can do all these things, but then you know if something's out of whack, it can kind of create more issues than, than, you know, we would like. (laughs) Yeah. And what's even more interesting is, you know, with having menopause so early, you, you would think that maybe getting pregnant and actually even more staying pregnant would be um, difficult. But what was so interesting to me was through the IVF process, I am a nurse, but I didn't do a lot of research because I kind of wanted to just go in blindly because I thought sometimes the more, you know, the harder it is to kind of just let the process be a process. You know, you analyze a lot of things, the more that, you know, and so I I just kind of went went into it blindly, but what's so interesting is with IVF and in my situation where I didn't have any eggs to use once the body kind of realizes, Oh, Hey, you're, you're pregnant. There's a baby in here after the 12 week mark, where you stop the injections for the medication, your body just takes over and it's just like, yes, I'm pregnant and it grows the baby all on its own. Um, milk production, if you choose to breastfeed, which I did shows up, it's not like I needed extra medication. I didn't need anything different to try to get, to be able to, to nurse. And it's so interesting how the body just like takes over, even though there was like a part of it that was broken. It just like magically is like, Hey, I know what to do now. 
It's very, yeah, it was such a miraculous experience. Yeah, that sounds really beautiful. And I'm guessing, I mean, did your faith sort of come in there as well? Like, did, were you just like, wow, like, even though I have this problem, you know, God's blessed me in this way where I can still do all these things that I would like to do. Yes, completely. I, I did know that I had a little bit of a fear when I was pregnant with my first that maybe, you know, breast feeding wasn't going to be an option for me. I just wasn't really sure how my body would respond. I, I was warned that, you know, the hormones can get kind of intense postpartum. And then with being in menopause at the same time, it might be more than I could handle. And being on medication for menopause while nursing is not an option. So you have to either choose to breastfeed or to take medication for menopause. And I knew in my heart, I wanted to try for breastfeeding, but I just didn't know how I would do. And hundred percent God is is so gracious and he is so good. And that is the one thing that I have spoken a lot about and thanked him so much that out of all the things that were so hard for me with, you know, going into menopause early and having to do IVF and the relationships that were impacted by it. The one thing that was such a bond between my girls and I, he allowed that to be such an easy process and it was so effortless for us, which I know for some people it's not. And that is such a, such a experience that I'm so grateful to him for because I know it was his hand allowing that bond to be there and, and make it such a sweet one. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've got three children and breastfeeding, yeah, can be a bit of a struggle sometimes, but there's something about it where you just bond with your child and you can really connect. And yeah, I mean, that would have been probably even more important for someone who has a donor egg or a donor or, you know, any kind of donor, because then you're actually like, physically you know sharing something else not not just a womb um but yeah um and how, how was that experience as well like having a donor egg because I know some people um have said like oh I felt a bit strange at first but then you know it was fine um yeah what what was the experience experience like yeah um I think the hardest thing for me was actually um it wasn't it wasn't coming to terms with using a donor because the minute I realized that that was even an option, I was like, um, sign me up. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I want to do. So yeah. for me, that was not something that was a, a hurdle, which for a lot of people it is. And I understand completely my situation. I think just with knowing my diagnosis for five years first and, and not thinking I had any options kind of allowed that to be a non-issue for me. The biggest struggle for me was actually selecting the donor. Oh, wow. How, how do I pick the right donor? Because when you think about it, you're picking someone who is going to influence your, your child in so many ways, and you don't get to meet the person in our situation. You know, we didn't get to meet the person. We won't, we didn't know the person. How do they act in situations? How are their emotions? What is their personality like? What's their family history like? All of those things play a part into selecting a donor because they, in the end, influence your child and how your child is going to act. And so initially, I remember going through our donor list and um, I was trying to select the donors based on what I looked like. So I would look at them, I'd look at a picture of me and I'd be like, okay, do we look similar? And obviously that wasn't going well because at the time I bleached my hair and everything about my, my appearance, obviously I'm not going to find someone that looks like me. And the more my husband and I talked, the more we realized that what they looked like didn't really matter because my husband is dark skin, very dark features. So more than likely the dark features were going to win out anyways. 
So what it mattered was, do they act like me? Do we think the same way? Do we have the same type of personality? Are we both emotional? Or are we both somber? Do we have a sense of humor? Or, you know, do we have a dry sense of humor? So then we started really analyzing the psychosocial profiles that were given to us so that we could try to find someone that when I read about them, we got like a nine page document that taught they, um, all of the donors from our clinic had interviews with a psychologist. And so they provide a nine page document that goes through their likes, their dislikes, their personalities. So I started really analyzing that to find someone when I read it, that I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I am like her. Um, and once I started that route, the, the anxiety of selecting a donor honestly went kind of out the window because I was just asking God to lead me in the direction of someone who would be similar to my behavior. And you know what? Sure enough, not too long after we came across a profile and I was like, she doesn't look a thing like me, but she acts everything like me. Um, and that's who we picked. And um, and so we, we used um, those donor eggs for our first cycle. And that's how Penelope is here. So... Did you use the same donor eggs for the next pregnancy as well, or did you use a different donor? So for our second cycle, we did. We had one more lot of eggs from our first donor, um, and we used that. But unfortunately, that cycle failed. And so that was something that was very hard for me because um, since I couldn't provide an egg, having a full genetic sibling for Penelope was something that was very important to me. And when that was taken away, um, I really struggled because I thought to myself, I've had to sacrifice so much. I've had to um, be okay going a non-traditional way to motherhood. Why is it that this one thing that's really important to me is now taken away from me? And so at that point, I honestly, I told my husband, I was like, I don't think I can do it again. I don't think I can select a different donor and then have, you know, a sibling to Penelope that's only like a half genetic sibling. And I remember him sitting me down and looking at me and saying, so you're just going to give up because you're not getting your way because you're not getting it the way that you want. You're just not going to have a sibling for Penelope. You're not going to have another child, even though that's your dream, because you're just not getting it your way. I was really mad at the moment. I <laughs> but looking back now, <laughs> looking back now, it was honestly the most honest and authentic thing he could have said to me, because at the end of the day, I've learned that the genetics part of things does not really matter. The, the, the love and the family unit that we were trying to create is what really matters. And so then for our third cycle, we ended up selecting a different donor. Um, albeit it's very funny. I did call the clinic and say, are these donors sisters or related somehow? Because I could not believe the similarities and they laughed and they said, well, we get that a lot, but no, they're actually not related. Um, but we ended up using um, that donor for our third cycle and that's how Everly is here so right. you know a lot of the times it's the husband that says something that kind of <laughs> I, and it's great I mean that is part of God's design right we we need each other and sometimes you know we can kind of get really emotional about things and maybe a little bit lost in some some of the things that we're going through and they'll be like the voice of reason you know, um, like I was blaming myself for loss and I was like, oh, it's because I was this, it's because I was overworking, I was stressed and all this stuff. My husband was like, well, you don't know that. And he goes, and you don't, like you wanted the baby and you wanted to make this happen. So you can't really say any of that because you don't know. And I was like, no, I do know. And he's like, no, you don't. Only God knows. And I was just like, 
Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's true. And and I think that's the beautiful thing about um about men in general. Um, but yeah, about our husbands because they know us so well and then they're mm-hmm. just like, mm, you know, come on, darling. Yeah. <laughs> they but- help they help restore a reason sometimes, right? I feel like especially when for women when we're in the midst of something with like infertility, like you, you said, emotion run high and loss and things cycles failing and things not happening, it can really cloud our reality. And so the voice of reason through God, and then through our husbands or spouse or, you know, men, let's say whoever it is, um, it can be really beneficial and kind of bring us back to, to the foundation of, okay, where, where are we trying to go? Where, you know, where is the journey taking us and not maybe take a side path of, you know, anger or despair or discouragement. Cause it's easy to do that, um, during, during those journeys, but thank God for him because we have Evie and I don't know what life would be like if we didn't have Evie. <laughs> yeah. My husband was just like, Oh, you know, we'll just try again. Cause I was just like, I don't know if I can do it. He's like, you want, you want to have another baby. We want to have another baby. We'll just do it again. And it is, it's literally like the same sort of thing. And yeah, they're just, they're very handy. Um, yeah. so how is, how is the, um, how is the experience of having a donor and then having a loss? Because obviously that second round, you know, it didn't, didn't pan out the way you, you know, obviously we expect it to pan out, you know? Yeah. You know, I think again, every situation is different. And so for my situation, um, I at least was blessed in the sense of I didn't have a lot of guilt towards myself only because I had carried a healthy pregnancy and I didn't have a lot of thoughts of what did I do wrong? Why didn't, you know, what, what could I have done differently to, to make this, this take or this, you know, embryo stay. And I think a lot of it does have to do with kind of how my husband has talked with me too, through that whole process, because and everyone again feels differently about this. And a lot of people do a lot of things prepping for IVF and they, you know, they do different procedures or they do different supplements or drinks or tea, you know, there's so many things out there, but for us, we truly just believed if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. And if it wasn't going to happen, it wasn't going to happen. And I have to say that that was probably the most peaceful thing that could have come to me through this journey because I was able to release any form of guilt or responsibility. And I just allowed the process to be what it was. And that doesn't mean I didn't grieve the the loss of that second transfer because there were so many things about it, but it allowed me to not carry the guilt and the weight of that loss. And so with having a donor, the, the issue wasn't so much like, oh, the donor eggs were bad or anything. I never even thought that way. I just, as much as the loss was heavy, I just realized that for whatever reason, this wasn't meant to be for us. And why? I don't know. Um, could it have been something, you know, was wrong with the baby? I don't, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that had that cycle worked, Everly wouldn't be here. And I look at it that way because I realized that Everly was meant to be here. And so even though I had to go through that loss, it allowed me to get to where we are today. And I think also sometimes I feel like God uses that because as much as that angered me about that loss with that, that second cycle, I realized that through that, he taught me that not everything is going to go the way I want in my life and not, and even when I feel like I deserve it, like, no, I deserve this cycle to work because I've had to give up so much else. This, I deserve this actually, no, 
you know, we don't really deserve anything per se in life, but God's grace and mercy is so kind to allow things to come into our life. That is wonderful. And so from that, I just learned that it's okay that not everything goes the way that I wanted it to. And sometimes it actually ends up being better going the way that God wanted it versus what I thought was best for me or best for, for my life. So again, in, in the, in the response to the donors and the cycle failing, I've never really correlated it to, oh, it's the donor's fault or the donor eggs, or, you know, I kind of, honestly, once we selected the donor eggs, I kind of just kept that away. Like it wasn't even something I thought about a lot. I mean, the embryo baby, you know, was inside of me and it was just either going to make it or not. And it, you know, and so I, I've removed the donors from that aspect, um, in all three transfers. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views, and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions, and conclusions, and they may not reflect the views, opinions, and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers, and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions, or conclusions expressed.